Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Welcome in. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn State Health. Bob Flounders is here. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. We're talking about the latest in Penn State football. And Bob, watch list season. I don't know how you, how do you, how do you feel about watch list season? You know what? At the start of it, you get a little bit excited about it because, you know, hey, should I should I post that John Clifford's on the Davey O'Brien watch list? But there's like there's like 107 quarterbacks on the watch list. And then they, then, then every day it's another one and it's another one and it's another one and it's another one. And I'm like, maybe the better idea is just to wait till they're all done and then just say, hey, here's here's Penn State's watch list count. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know that the fan base is, is burning with desire to know like all the players on watch list. If there's a surprise or an omission, I think that's a good post. But you, you could tell I can tell you every, every watch list who's going to be on it for Penn State pretty much without without fail. So, yeah, I'm not that excited. Um, I do think there are some Penn State players absolutely this year, even though they lost a lot of good players that are deserving of the watch list consideration. And I think that bigger question is, who are the who are the young uh, Penn State players that maybe aren't going to be talked about now because they don't have a resume, but you know by the middle of the season they're like, boy, not only should they have been on the watch list, they should be maybe uh, at the end of the year they could be a semifinalist for the award. Who knows? Oh, that's a, that's an interesting talking point. I I was going to ask you a question too, but let, I, I'd like to explore that a little bit, and uh, a, a few names might might come to mind. Um, like I can't imagine we're sitting here now. The Mackey Award watch list is not out, but Theo Johnson, I can see him not being on that list because he wasn't a starter last year. Where he maybe emerges, you know, maybe you could have a Kobe King uh, emerge, like no no resume yet. Nick Singleton, obviously for the Doak Walker Award, we'll talk about that one um, too. Mitchell Tinsley for the Blitnikoff, we just found out a little bit ago that Parker Washington is on that list, deservedly so. Kalen King at at cornerback um, is is another good one. And I think Adisa Isaac too, you know, he's not a, he's not a young player, but somebody who uh, I I don't think will be on a watch list, but if he gets off to a fast start, maybe he gets there. Yeah. And I did, I don't know if you saw it on, on Twitter, but I saw that uh, it was one of those pro football focus. They have like a college section, some, or I don't know if it was Mike Farrell. They had like a, the top 10 tight ends in the country going into the season. And it's a, it's a pretty nice list of names. There were a couple of big 10 players on that list. And so Theo retweeted it and his comment was keep sleeping. He's clearly a guy that I think for the tight end thing, I mean, it's, it's, they're not really giving you the award if you're a good blocker. So you're going to have to have some pretty snazzy receiving stats or at least a bunch of touchdowns. You know, think back to the days of, of Gesicki and Pat Fryermuth. Theo Johnson is definitely a guy that no one's really talking about now, but uh, you know, by by the middle of October, he could be a huge problem for secondary. The guy is legitimately 6'5", 6'6", 260 pounds. I had a chance to talk to him 
you know, in the spring for a magazine article, I confirmed it because I asked the other tight ends in the room, hey, I know he was fast. What was his exact uh, 40 time that he ran? And they all had the same number. So he ran a 4-5-1-40. Now think about that. And uh, that's that beat Gasicki's record at Penn State. Um, he's, he's, he's the same kind of player, a big receiver. And he is. he said, you know what? I can get lower than that. So to think about a, a Penn State tight end that runs in this, a sub 4-5, there's really no excuse if he doesn't have a really good year. And it might not be his fault. I know he dropped some passes last year. But, man, if I'm the offensive coordinator and if I'm Sean Clifford, I, I'm going to try and get that guy the ball a lot, in the red zone especially. I mean, you think about margin for error and the way that he can jump and run. I mean, you don't have to be perfect at all. He can be covered. It doesn't matter. I mean, most of the time, whoever's covering him is going to be at some kind of disadvantage. So all you got to do is throw it up. Yeah. he's Of all the Penn State receivers, and the other two are really good players too, Tyler Warren, Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson is definitely the most dangerous one in the passing game. I like Brenton Strange a lot too. I think he's probably their best blocker. Warren, I think is, he's a former quarterback that's still getting comfortable at the position. But to have tight, three tight ends like that, I would like to see more tight two tight end sets, maybe less three wide receiver sets. It might also, who knows, help in the running game. But yeah, that's a Theo Johnson's a guy you mentioned, Singleton uh, for sure. I think Penn State's, I'm pretty sure Penn State's best offensive lineman is going to be Juice. And I think his center is his best position. I'm not going to say he's winning the Remington, but I think, I think he's a guy that could be like a, an all Big Ten player, maybe uh, you know, maybe a, a third, a third team All Big Ten player. I don't think he's the worry when you talk about their offensive line. I don't know if PJ Mustafer is going to be a hundred percent. Otherwise, I'd put him in for some some awards as well. I'm I'm anxious to see Adisa Isaac. I'm really, really anxious to see deny Dennis Sutton too. I, I mean, he's just a guy that he is not built like your typical freshman defensive lineman so I'm anxious to see him two guys we didn't talk about Jair Brown uh, obviously Curtis Jacobs and I'd even throw Joey Porter in there too they have some good players but to to get them all all kind of on the same page and it's really going to come down to how many points they can score in a game so the more players they have on the offensive minded watch list even in even at midseason the better the chances of Penn State having a, a surprising season who do you think stays on a watch list the longest? <laughs> Which player on, on Penn State's roster stays on? And, and my, my other question for you, and you can, you can ponder that first one, is uh, so Sean Clifford was on the Maxwell Award watch list for most outstanding college football player. If you had to pick one Penn State player to be on that list, if you were making the list, which Penn State player would be on the most outstanding list for you? Yeah, most outstanding Penn State player to me. Uh, I mean, we can you can start you can start by eliminating some players in a hurry. To me, I think by the end of the season, I think it'll be two or three guys will be in the running for Penn State's most outstanding player. Um, Jair Brown's one. Um, I think Curtis Jacobs two. Although I'm a little bit mindful of the fact he's moving inside to play uh, in traffic a little bit. I, he's just not the biggest guy. I worry about that. And it's not Mitchell Tinsley, it's Parker Washington. I, I just think that he probably is a guy that I, I don't think it's I don't think he can really cover Parker Washington because of what he can do. And when you when you throw in the fact he can run a good routes and he's really hard, he's he's deceptively, deceptively strong. He's like 215 pounds. He's not stocky, but he's I think he's 5'10. He's he's almost like a running back in space. So to me, I think of those three, I I, I would go between either Parker 
or uh, Jair Brown. You know, it's an interesting point with Parker Washington where you saw like with the 49ers last year, Debo Samuel was at sort of running back wide receiver hybrid. He seems like a guy like if if that's going to really become a thing at the next level, usually all it takes is is one player to really open the eyes of other organizations like Parker Washington can, can do that job. You know, when you look at the ball skills and the flair for acrobatic catches, the fact that he's running a sub four five right now, the fact that he's got that center of gravity, he's built like a running back. Uh, he can run, jump, he runs good routes. I mean, it really just kind of comes down to him to opportunity. And, you know, it would, it would really be surprising to me if he doesn't have a really big year this year. I know Mitchell Tinsley will be there and Keandre Lambert Smith is going to demand some attention and the, those tight ends are too. And they're going to try to establish the run, but Parker Washington's numbers should grow. And I don't know that he's going to be the same. NFL draft prospect is Jahan Dotson, but I think he's going to be a really, really good NFL draft prospect, maybe like a, a second round kind of guy. Yeah, I could see him being a top 100 player. I could see this easily being his last year at Penn State. He scored a touchdown in his first ever game at Penn State, you know, and it, he didn't even have really a training camp. It was the pandemic year. I think he caught he caught the overtime touchdown uh, for Penn State in the loss at Indiana, and he had some big games then, and they weren't exactly throwing the ball well in 2020. He took a little bit of a backseat to Jahan Dotson and went with good reason. But the other reason I think he's going to ha- – I just think his target volume, which I think Sean Clifford has shown that when he had Pat Fryermuth, he looked his way. When he had Jahan Dotson, he looked his way. Of all the, I mean, as much as Mitchell Tinsley's a good player, he doesn't have the same rapport that Sean Clifford has with Parker. I legitimately expect Dustin, unless it's an unforeseen circumstance, I think Parker Washington has to be targeted like 10 times a game. You know what I mean? It's, it's really only a couple times a quarter when you break it down that way, like two, two and a half times a quarter. But there's no reason not to feed that guy the ball and get him the ball in a ver- on a variety of routes. And, yeah, he is just a guy that um, when you're that quick and your hands are that good, he's not going to drop a lot of passes. But it's just, he's a hard guy to cover. And you put him in the slot, typically in the slot, it's not necessarily your best corner because a lot of college corners won't travel. But uh, you put him in the slot, and then it becomes an even bigger problem. But, yeah, he should be Penn State's most dangerous player in the passing game. It might not, it might not always be touchdowns, but he's going to be a guy that can, can move the chains, can make a couple of chunk plays, and I think that he's a guy that Sean knows if he can get the ball in his vicinity, he's not going to drop it. I also think you're, you're going to see his target volume rise on those plays that are at or behind the line of scrimmage quick stuff in the flat screens a lot of that went to Jahan Dotson last year for good reason Uh, I think I think a lot of that is going to go in Parker Washington's direction this year and I'm I'm excited to see what he's able to do with that you know Jahan Dotson had the ability to kind of he avoided big hits. He kind of burrowed into defenders whenever he was in the, but I think Parker Washington will be even better in that situation. Yeah, and the key to a, the key to a, a receiver being dangerous on screens is almost always you're going to have to make one guy miss at the line of scrimmage, right? And then the whole field opens up. Jahan Dotson probably was as good as anyone on the slip screen ever to play at Penn State. Parker's the same kind of guy. I don't I don't think anyone wants. I don't think there's a lot of defenders that are going to be excited to see pa- themselves one on one with Parker Washington in space because uh, it, it's going to be a problem. But yeah, you don't usually give like a big wideout a slip screen because they just, that's not their contested catch guys. He's the perfect guy for it. And he will inherit that role. 
Speaking of Jahan Dotson, uh, I'm not sure if you saw everything he had to say, but um, Mark Wilkenrich from uh, All Penn State, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, was from uh, the Allentown area before. You know, he got to know Jahan before he arrived at Penn State. Uh, I was interested in in hearing what Jahan had to say about number one last year's team and number two. You know, his belief in Sean Clifford. You know, it, it almost pushes him beyond a credible source of information because he believes so much in Sean Clifford. And I mean, I think some of the things that he has to say in terms of, you know, physical tools and, and, and the way that he works and things like that, like that, I mean, that's true, but. He believed last year that without injuries, if, if everything would have gone well with, with the, on the injury front, they would have been a college football playoff team. And I don't know if I can make the stretch from seven and six to college football playoff, but I do like, obviously this group was, was impacted pretty severely by injuries, but he thinks it's a possibility this year too. What do you, what do you think about that? The defense, and if PJ Mustaver had played the whole season, it would have even been a better defense. The defense was, I think, you know, if you look at if you look at the entirety of the Big Ten, you know, Michigan, Michigan, everyone talks about their defense. But, you know, when they played when they played at Beaver Stadium, their de- Michigan's defense played well. But so did so did Penn State's. I think their defense with a healthy P.J. Mustafer would have been almost just as good as Michigan's because of the, the, the talent they had at all three levels. I think they showed that early at Wisconsin when they they literally won the game. They shut out Indiana. Uh, actually, I think that was Michael Penix's last game. They they battered him so badly, and I they were they were really giving Iowa a lot of trouble um, before Clifford got hurt. But also PJ Mustafer got hurt in that game, and I think even some of the plays that Iowa were, were able to get as the game went on, I think it would have been a lot tougher for them. I think when you look at their defense, it was absolutely contender status in the Big Ten. They were that good, and it was reflected in the draft. The offense, you know, Jahan Dotson clearly is. Uh, I think very close to Sean Clifford. They both made their initial marks at Penn State during that 2019 season. You know, Jahan, he played a little as a true freshman in 18, but in 19, he became a down-the-field threat for a very good team. The the key question is, what would a a healthy Sean Clifford have done for Penn State's offense? My question is, the amount of football that Sean Clifford has played at Penn State, and the style of play, and the fact that he runs the ball a lot, I don't know that it's realistic to expect him to get through a season without missing a few games and without getting beat up. And, you know, uh, a lot of that also is on the offensive line as well. But I I just don't know that we're going to see Sean Clifford, you know, in pristine condition for 13 games. And and that's that's my question about that. If Sean's healthy, they beat Iowa. They beat Illinois. If he's healthy, I think they are. Probably going to beat Michigan because he played, but I don't think I don't think he was healthy. The Ohio State loss is what it is, and Michigan State I don't know, but they're probably they are probably a nine or ten win team if Clifford doesn't get beat up and Mustafer doesn't get hurt. It it is pretty amazing how much um, luck is necessary over the course of a season, and injuries are are a big part of that. But sometimes just the way the ball bounces be, be between turnovers and 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 not. You know, Penn State, whether, whether you're on the right end of that. So I think there was just some bad fortune with the with injuries last year. And I, I would say that Penn State really needs to do a better job of resisting the temptation of running Clifford so much. You know, I think I think they've fallen in love with that play. Yeah, not, I don't I don't mean eliminate it, but I think you do the bare minimum of that to to, to pose the threat. The threat of him running 
means just as much as him actually running. Yeah, I mean, you look at Trace McSorley's career, and the more he carried the ball uh, over his career, I think the less effective he was. You know, I even remember that 2018 game when he carried 25 times for 100, I think it was 175 yards against Ohio State at Beaver Stadium. And they almost won the game, but I don't think Trace was ever the same player after that game. So I agree with you. You can't run your quarterback that much. Um, you, and if you're going to run him, it's got to be, you got to pick the right spots. And he's also got to be the, he's got to be smart enough to get down. You know what I mean? He can't take, he can't take the body blows and, or he's got to, you know, get, get out of bounds. I thought Sean Clifford, he probably took some, un, he's taken some unnecessary punishment uh, during his career. And I think that eventually that's going to work against him. And I think in that respect, you have to protect Sean from himself because he's a pretty extreme competitor. I don't know if he's ever like in the heat of the moment in that split second decision, if he's willing to really admit that he can't take on that safety or he can't take on that linebacker. Like I think, I really think he believes he can, he can win that, that collision. Yeah. And Sean, I mean, uh, Dustin, you look at, you look at what he did in high school. He, I think he played his his last year uh, at his high school. I think he had a torn labrum in his shoulder. He didn't get that from throwing the ball. And you know what I mean? He's he's just a guy that it, it's admirable that he'll pay the price to try and get the yards, especially on third down. But better offense is probably designed to not let the quarterback have to make those plays. You look at all, you know, you look at CJ Stroud at Ohio State. He doesn't run enough. I mean, if he ever started to run the ball. Uh, and keep the ball they'd be even more deadly but I don't I don't know that CJ Stroud ever got emerged from a game maybe the Michigan game was ever sore after a game because he just he just got the ball out and he let Henderson and the other guys do the running Penn State's not really built that way we'll see what Sean Clifford looks like you know in in the middle of the season because he got I think he got hurt on a running play in 2019 you know he played 2020 but they they almost ran the ball exclusively after that 0-5 start. And then last year, he got hurt on, I think, a, a linebacker blitzed, and I think he got the ball away. It was that big Iowa linebacker, Jack Campbell, hit him. And we never actually knew what all ailed Sean Clifford, but it bothered him, I think, the rest of the year. So he can get hurt holding on to the ball too long, and he can also get hurt not getting down after on, on a desired run. Let Sean Clifford touch the ball as little as possible is what you're saying. Just get the ball out, Sean. Just get 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 to get to read number one. If it's not there, there's a, there's a built-in checkdown or there's a built-in safe. I think play in all of those, and you just got to you just got to be quicker. I think distributing the ball, and I think actually Mike Yersich kind of hinted at that this offseason that as he gets through his progressions, he, he could still be quicker at that. And I think this is that that is one area where being in the second year of the same offense with the same coordinator can probably help to, to, to be able to diagnose and make those reads faster and, and your progressions faster. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. I want to touch on your most intriguing series. We did that last week, just kind of bring people up to speed with who's where there. But Javen Williams, I wanted to um, bring up the Wyo missing 
offensive lineman. He's a new five-star by all in three. They have him as the number 10 player in the country. And in fact, they have uh, him listed as an interior offensive lineman and Alex Birchmeyer as the number two interior offensive lineman. So Penn State, you know, by those rankings, has the number one and number two interior offensive lineman in the country in the 2023 class. What are your thoughts on a guy who's 6'4", 290, um, like, like Williams is, and, and who's clearly a pretty dynamic athlete, where he ends up and, and how that body type maybe lends itself to giving Penn State options to be able to, to be a swing player or however they want to use him? Yeah, so, you know, when, when you talk about the five-star threshold, it's very rare you get a five-star offensive lineman and you tried to play him inside, right? They're, they're almost always five-stars because they're great athletes for their size. So it would make sense to me if this kid, and I know he's not, he's not done growing, but he could end up being 6'5", 3'10", 3'15", fairly easy, probably without Penn State's strength and conditioning program. And that's, that's pretty, pretty prototype numbers to play offensive tackle, you know, between 3'10", and 3'20". I have no reason to doubt Greg Pickle's recruiting website, and I think you feel the same way. But if he's a five-star offensive lineman, to me, that I mean, that screams to me that he is going to be just a, a really, really intriguing offensive tackle prospect. He still might be just, you know, a Quentin Nelson. I don't know about that. You know, that's when I think of a five-star as a guard. That's probably the name, the most recent name that comes to mind. But man. The fact that he's, he's he's a little light, I think, to play inside right now. So he he looks to me like he's going to be uh, an offensive tackle. I know you watch, you follow recruiting very closely, Dustin. And I know you watch a lot of film. When you saw him, is, did you think that maybe he might be even better than four star, or did you think he was a legit high four star uh, when 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 he kind of committed to Penn State? I mean, he looks the part of a legit four star to to me. Um, and I, whether he's a five star or not, I mean, people who who spend more time around him and um, can maybe have a better uh, sense of context of where he fits in with the rest of the offensive linemen in the country. But he's a pretty special athlete. And he's pretty big. Um, I'm with you that for Penn State to move him inside to tackle, and, and I, I think this concept is a little fresher for me because of what's going on with Lana Tangwall and him being. Uh, him being inside now. It's not to say that he's he's there. That's where he's going to be. But I think Williams is further away from his ceiling than Tang Wall was as a high school player. And I think Williams is, is a better overall athlete. Um, it's not to take away from Landon Tangwall, but I, I didn't think he was a left tackle over the long term. I thought maybe he, he'd hold up as, as a right tackle. And so maybe you see him, you know, he might very well be when Caden Wallace moves on Penn State's best candidate to go to right tackle then too. We'll see. But, um, I, I, I think I'm with you, like get for maximum value here. I think you start him at, at tackle. And I think the other two recruiting services do have him as a tackle. I landed, Landon, uh, he's, I think he Landon's up to 330 down. He, you know, he's a young player. He, they played, they thought enough of him to play him a little bit last year. There was no doubt in Penn State's minds that Fashano was going to be the left tackle. They didn't, they, they like him enough to not move Caden Wallace from the right tackle spot. So I, I know that Landon fits a need, uh, cause they have a need at guard for, for him to kick inside, but I do think. Just looking at him, he looks like he's a guy that uh, he was talking about the transition. He always played tackle in high school because you're when you're the you're, you're the best big athlete on the offensive line, you're automatically going to play left tackle in high school. But it's a different game uh, at the major college level. 
And there, you know, for him to kick inside, there's there's nothing wrong with that. I think if Landon has designs on playing in the NFL, uh, he should try and learn both of them and 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 be able to play both of them. If you can play four spots on the offensive line uh, in a pinch or you know in a primary role, I mean that's only going to enhance your value. But I'll be real interested to see because uh, you would think if Shano's good, he's going to stay at left tackle for a little while because he's still a young player. Who's the future at right tackle? Who's who's the guy that's going to be? So you're gonna. I think we're going to find out really quickly after the 2022 season if Tangwall's future was all along at guard, or maybe they'll look at him as the right tackle of the future. And you you have some other guys. I mean, uh, uh, Drew, Drew Shelton in the 2022 class. I mean, how quickly can he come along? You know, would a Javon Williams be able to hit the ground running a little bit early in his career too? So I think um, Penn State will have some options, and they typically do do a pretty good job of of figuring out what their best options are, where, and and trying to move those guys in that direction. Um, real quick, just the last three names in your most intriguing series, which I'm I find to be an, an intriguing series, and you the intriguing player series is intriguing to me. Hakeem Beeman at number twenty two. Obviously, you know, no, with nobody really knowing exactly the circumstances of why he didn't play last year and 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 how important he could be in terms of being disruptive. Uh, Caden Saunders, the true freshman wide receiver at 21. You know, I, I think they've got a lot of options, but none like him. So uh, how, how does that fit into things in that depth chart? Then Juice Scruggs moving from guard to center. Juice Scruggs can be a much, much more dynamic center than Mike Miranda could have been, which is why I think you saw that position switch changed uh late last year yeah of, of the three names you mentioned uh, the two that intrigue me the most are Caden Saunders and Hakeem Beeman you know Hakeem Beeman there were times in 2020 when he was reserved defensive tackle he would he would he would be in the rotation you could see he was a player you could see why Penn State recruited him you could see why he was a four-star prospect there's no point in speculating on why he didn't play last year I've heard some things I'm not 100% sure, so James ruled him out uh, fairly early. My my whole thing with, with Akeem is he's a tweener, right? Can you really play 40 or 50 snaps at the three technique at defensive tackle at 260 pounds? Or is there going to be a hybrid role for him where he'll play some inside and he can help them outside? Because adding weight has been a struggle for him ever since he's gotten to Penn State. I've seen him as high as 274 pounds. I've seen him in the 250s. Um, he's, I think he's at, in the 260s right now. Um, who knows how much he weighs, but he looks, he looks sleek for a defensive tackle. And I just wonder what's, if you're, if you're going to play him inside, he can be a really, really effective player. If he's 265 pounds or 262 pounds. Quickness has got to be his biggest strength and he can make that work for him. But do you really want him at 262 or 263 pounds? When they got to go up against Tank Big Tank Bigsby and Auburn in Week Three, or when they got to play at Michigan, you know they got there's some rugged teams. Minnesota, there's some rugged teams on the schedule late in the year. He's a fascinating player to me because I think you could you could you and I could disagree on what his best role might be, and we both might there might be truth in what both of our takes are. So if he's able to play, if he's cleared to play, he's one of their best athletes inside. Without, he might be their best athlete inside. I always see his weight, and I always wonder, what does he really weigh? Like, does he is he even lighter than that? And they're just they're listing him at two sixty. But I think he is a, a real key to the season for the defensive line. I think they like Keziah Izzard and Devon Ellis, but I think Hakeem Beeman 
gives them a little bit more punch, Dustin. And one thing I would tell you about Caden Saunders is uh, I was talking to Doug Lamarice on his uh, one of his uh, po- uh, podcasts for uh, Cleveland.com. He does a great job with it, and he knows Ohio State really well. He told me his daughter went to, I think it was Westerville South, where Caden Saunders is from. So he's literally seen just about all of Caden Saunders' games. And he said the stats don't tell the true story of how great of a player Caden Saunders is because I think, I don't know if they had injuries or, but he did everything at Westerville South. They couldn't just put him at one position. He did, he was the, he was the returner, played receiver. He got the ball almost as a design runner. I think he said he played some quarterback. When you look at his numbers and you're like, why is this guy such a coveted player? Don't be fooled. He, he did a lot. He sacrificed for that team, but he said he's a, he's an unbelievable athlete. And he also brought up KJ Hamler when he talked about uh, Saunders. So as well off as Penn State, I think, is with their top three receivers, you see enough from Caden Saunders in practice. I think you got to design some plays this year to get him on the field to get him in space. If you want to be as threatening as you possibly can be to opposing defenses, I think you need that dynamic. You need teams worrying about him. And he's one of those guys, like the coaching staff. I, I asked them about being compared to KJ Hamler too, because it's, you know, not, and not just for size, but I think the skill set of being so quick with his feet and so quick to get up to top speed is what's uh, really interesting to me. And the coaching staff compared him to KJ Hamler too. But yeah, I, I think if you really want your best athletes on the field and you want to, you want to, um, torment defenses the best you can, I, th- I think he's got to be part of that mix. Yeah, he, he, it feels to me that uh, this is why he's, he made the intriguing list. Is You might not see a lot of him the first three or four weeks of the season, but I think the more he practices and the more there's kind of a comfort level, and who knows, Penn State might have some injuries, but I just think by the time you get into the meat of the Big Ten season, if he's physically ready to play in the, in the first year of college, and I, I mean, K.J. Hamlin was not a big guy, right? Like you would never say he was physically ready. He was just an unbelievable athlete. I just think the, the longer the season goes on, the greater the chance you'll see him on the field. There you go. Bob's most intriguing series will roll on here for at least a few more weeks on PennLive.com. Check it out there. Through December. Through December. Through, <laughs> it's so much intrigue. He's, he doesn't even know what to do with it. I just don't ever want to get to the point where I have to run multiple posts in one day. But I feel like August is a long month, and I can space these bad boys out pretty much till I'll bet you the, the third or fourth week in August, and I'll be loving. I'll be loving it, Dusty. And I'll plan on just doing it uh, in audio form, too, because it's a, it's, a, it's a good conversation point that will carry us through the month of August also. Uh, you can check out everything we do on the Blue White Breakdown, Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, um, all of Bob's written content on PennLive.com slash PennStateFootball. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Blue White Breakdown, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live.